Good morning, everybody. We are so glad that you are here with us this morning. Um, uh, if this is your first time, welcome. Uh, if you've been with us, as, as Dan mentioned, for the thousandth time or beyond, welcome. Uh, we're, we're just so thankful to be here at Pomerado Christian Church, a place in which we want to be helping people get plugged into the people and purpose of the church, a place in which we aren't perfect people, but we are consistently and constantly being changed by God to make a change in this world, and a place in which you recognize we are called to be witnesses to who God is, what he's done, and how he loves with our thoughts, our words, and our actions. And in so doing, like those our initials at our church. It's PCC, plugged in, changed by a call to. Hopefully it's easy for us to remember, and hopefully it's the calling through which we live our lives, both as a church and individually. So we are so excited uh, to be able to share this morning with you as we continue our series called The Box of Not Yet's, and as we get to a point where we are talking about our, our second week. But before we do, as we kind of reset what this series is about, is the idea of picturing this box, this gift that we want to give to God, and we say, okay, Lord, I want to do this great thing for you, or I want to change my life for you, and we picture this box under the Christmas tree, and we say, I'm going to give this to you, Lord, but not yet. I have to get things figured out. I have to work on myself first. I have to, whatever it is, and we, we come up with excuses. We come up with what may be well-intentioned reasons why we're not but the truth is, is that God has called us to certain things through his word and what he has for us as the church, the body of Christ, for us to do. And so instead of us saying, okay, Lord, I want to give this to you, but not yet, we want to start our year and remind ourselves that there are things that we have to, to start moving forward with and not holding off from giving that gift, but to offer it up to God how he wants us to do. And so Last week, we talked about this idea that I'll share my faith, but not yet. And how we talked about with New Year's resolutions, this idea that if we keep one resolution this year, may it not be just to make our lives better, but may it be to make Jesus better known in the lives of others. The idea that if we were to focus on anything, may it be sharing the life-changing, life-giving, life-altering and new life relationship with Jesus Christ to those around us, friends, families, fellow students, fellow employees, neighbors, whatever that may be. And so we talked about that last week. This week, uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about something a little bit different. Uh, but before we dive into God's word and the sermon, uh, I would ask that you would join me in a word of prayer as we open up uh, God's word and see what he has for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are here in this place. Lord, I thank you for uh, just the scriptures that reminds us of, that we are the body of Christ, that we would encourage one another with spiritual songs and hymns, and that we would be able to come alongside one another on this journey with fellow travelers, recognizing that we cannot do this alone. Lord, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a powerful, personal, impactful way to each and every person that is in this room. And to each and every person that might be listening online later, may everyone who hears my voice right now know how loved they are by you. If they get nothing else, may your love for them permeate deep into the crevices of their hearts in which they feel unlovable. And may your love overflow so they know the truth that they are cared for, prayed for, and loved before they ever walk into this room. Lord, we love you. In your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. 
I mentioned earlier that uh, I'm a San Francisco 49er fan, as well as other Bay Area sports, and I share that because I grew up in the Bay Area, um, in Santa Clara, which is a little bit south of, of uh, San Francisco, but I remember growing up, and, and my mom and I took a trip to Alcatraz. Has anyone ever been to Alcatraz? Yeah, it's, it's a pretty crazy place to go to. I remember uh, just going there, and you know, you see all the... All the um, the cells, you see like all the different grounds, like it's freezing, like it just, it was pretty crazy to go to and I remember being a little kid and, and going there and one day when I was there, there was a man in which, uh, his name was Jim Quillen, uh, and he was a prisoner from Alcatraz and in fact he ended up writing a book um, that talked about um, just his time there, but he was there live and he was sharing a story and he was talking to us a little bit about his time in Alcatraz. But what specifically what he talked about was this idea in which he had to be put into solitary confinement. And what he shared in this story is that 19 days was the maximum amount of time in which you could go into solitary confinement. And what he shared is this idea that he would be in this room that was windowless room that only had like a bed rail and, and a toilet and, and that was about it and a chair and how they would open up the doors at 6 a.m., they would give him his food, he would roll up his bedding and give the bedding back, and then they would shut the doors, and until dinner time, there was no light, there was no conversation, there was no warmth, it was just this black room of emptiness, and, and he couldn't see or hear anything. He talks about how in order to make himself just make it through the day while still being sane, that he would tear off a button from his shirt, and he would throw it into the room, he would spin around a few times, crawl on his knees just to find the button because he needed to just keep his mind focused on something and that it was so in-depth, just the loneliness and the, the just isolation from everybody that he just had to come up with something. And then he, when he was done with that, then he would go and he would walk around just between his chair and the wall or the chair and the bed just to do something because he was in such isolation, such um, separation from everybody that it was, if he didn't do something, it would drive him crazy. He talked about how it was such a horrible experience. Then he talked about, you know, like I said, how it was so cold, they didn't give enough warmth or anything like that. But then in his book, what he says is that worse than being cold, though, was the feeling of total isolation from the world. And I bring that up because even as a hardened criminal, even as someone who was in, on Alcatraz because he committed a crime, even hardened criminals, even people in those places recognize how devastating it is to be in solitary confinement, how devastating it is to be in isolation. Because what do, what do prison wardens know? That if you separate someone from a community and you get them all by themselves, that that is the greatest punishment that they could give for bad behavior. Solitary confinement. And yet, even hardened criminals know that being removed and isolated from other people is bad. And yet, so many of us as Christians impart upon ourselves a, our own version of solitary confinement because we don't get plugged in and connected to the church and other believers. That we think that if isolation is so devastating that even hardened criminals know that, why do so many of us get to the point in which we remove ourselves from experiencing the community that God has created the church to be? 
That we come in and we, we sit down and, and we sing a couple songs and we listen to a message and, and we might say hi to someone that we sit near often and there could be the allure or the facade of a, de- of a deep community if we don't get plugged in, if we don't get connected, if we don't actually invest in relationships with other people, specifically other believers. And so as we talked this morning about the idea that I'll get connected to church, but not yet, our main point is that if you want to go fast in life, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Christian transformation happens through association with others, not isolation from others. That if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together is an African proverb. But then we take that to be showing us the idea that Christian transformation, truly being transformed into the likeness of Christ, happens in community. It happens when we're plugged in. It doesn't happen just with information dispensation on a Sunday morning. It happens with transformation through association through friendships that can help us and can walk alongside us and can encourage us, can challenge us in all these different aspects of what a community really looks like. So we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We're only going to look at verses 4, verses 9 through 12. So we don't have a large chunk of scripture for us to dive into this morning. However, it's one that is worthwhile for us to, to pay attention to. And so the first part of your notes after the main point is this idea of going alone. That if you want to go fast, go alone. And so let's take a few moments to look at what the culture teaches us and shows us about the, the, the desire to go alone and why that's a desire that so many of us have. But before we dive into that, I'm going to read Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12. If you're following in the church Bible that's in the seat in front of you, uh, it's page 1040. If you have your own Bible here, you brought the, your phone for the Bible app, that's great as well. But Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, say this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. So we look at this idea of going alone. Verse 9, it has this idea of just it's better Two are better than one, and they have a better return for their labor. So even when you work alongside one another, it's this idea of if I can lift 100 pounds and someone else can lift 100 pounds, if we work together, we usually can lift more than the 200 pounds that you would see. You're able to have that kind of that joint strength is more than the sum of its parts. But then in verse 10, it talks about woe to those who are alone, or in this case, in the NIV, it says, but pity anyone who is alone, pity anyone who is by themselves on this journey talks about because if they fall down, who's going to help them up? And so if the word of God talks about pity to anyone who is alone, then why do we as Christians try to live alone? Why is it that we try to put on the mask on a Sunday morning that everything is fine, that everything is perfect, and in so doing, we put on a mask and the mask stops us from having any sort of true intimacy, relationship, communion, and friendship a place in which the church should be the place where we can be the most vulnerable and transparent and open. 
Yet if you're like many Christians, showing up on a Sunday morning is the, okay, I have to pretend that everything's okay this week. I wouldn't want so-and-so to think I'm struggling. Or, you know what, I can't, I have to hide the fact that me and my wife just got into an argument on the way here. Or the kids are screaming and we better make sure that, listen, when you walk through those doors, you better be singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. I mean, we have this pressure to make it feel like everything is fine. But whenever we've been in an aspect of community and someone has shared that things aren't fine, do we usually judge them? Or do we recognize that sometimes the first step to not being alone is the loneliest step of opening up? But sometimes it's that courage that allows community to develop. So let's take a moment to look back at this idea of why is it that we buy into the fact that going alone is a good idea. On your notes, when we go alone, we buy into the culture of instant gratification. I had a friend who I would work with and he and I would, we would just go and we would go on a walk to like, just wherever we were going, if we would get out of a car, he would start walking and I would like either have to double my stride or like just go really fast. Cause he was like, he was just going somewhere, right? Like he just, he had a mission, he was on his way. And if I was with him, cool, if not, then at least I could follow him, right? It's like one of those where he wanted to go fast somewhere. And then we think that it's easier for us or we think the myth of the idea that faster is better. Because we think, okay, if we get to the destination fastest, then that's going to be what's going to mean the most, that that's going to make us the best or the smartest or the most capable. But often if we get somewhere the fastest, that means that we've either left people behind, we've trampled people on the way there, or we just not even noticed anyone around us because our goal becomes the most important thing to us. And so we have this idea that if I want to go fast, so I'm going to go alone because other people will encumber my process. Anyone with younger kids knows how much easier it is to get in a car when it's just you rather than trying to pack everybody and everything in there. Because if you want to go fast, go by yourself. And so we have this idea that we buy into this culture, that this idea that faster is better. We buy phones or laptops or computers because it's faster. We want to get a fancier car because it's faster, because we buy into the myth that faster is better. Recently, Elisa and I started doing um, puzzles, and she, I would lay on the ground on my stomach, and she, we would start to kind of put the piece together. She would lay on my back, and she got really mad like if I put any of the pieces together. So I would just say, hey, honey, can you try maybe putting these two together? She's like, okay. And she would like crawl off my back, put it on, and then get back on my back and do that. And then she has this thing in which there's one piece left. There's only one way this piece can go. And she knows there's only one way this piece can go. And so she just kind of puts it there, and she just kind of like moves it a little this way, and then like moves it a little bit of that way. And... For whatever reason, I have no time constraints, but in my mind, I'm like, honey, put it in. Honey, hurry up. Hurry, go, go. And she's just like, hee, 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 hee. And I'm like, and I just want to like take her hand and be like, we did it. But in reality, it's like, hurry up, because faster is better. But this idea that if we want to go fast, go alone, because relationships aren't easy. Like the kind of relationships that are worthwhile, they take time. And so if we buy into a culture of instant gratification, this idea that we have to go fast because faster is smarter, that we create fast friends, we can become fast friends, but if they're only staying fast friends without becoming deep friends, then they won't last very long. So this idea that we want to make sure that relationships, they take time, they're not always instantly gratifying, but it's 
walking a journey step by step. It's building a house brick by brick. It's planting a garden seed by seed and recognize that anything worth anything takes time. So we must reject or push back upon the idea, well, I just don't have anyone that I connect with at church, so I'm not even going to try. That's buying into the myth that faster is better. But slower is more worthwhile. Number two here under these notes is that when we go alone, we rob ourselves and one another. And this is more the myth of, not the myth of that faster is better. This speaks to the myth of, oh, well, you know what? I don't need to go and be plugged in or connected to the church because you know what? Me and Jesus, Jesus, me, we're good. Like, I, like I'm good here. Like, you do you. You can go to church. I love Jesus, and, and I'm just going to be fine with just, just me and him having, you know, our, our, our little powwow here and there. We say, oh, God, I want to follow your word. Jesus, I want to say what you want, us, what you want me to say, and I want to do what you want me to do. But if we buy into the myth that we can just, just be Jesus and me are good, should Jesus and us be good? Absolutely. But if that's the extent of our Christianity, if that's the extent of our walk with God, then we're not really obeying what he says. Because in the New Testament alone, there are 59 times in which there are these verses called the one another verses. Love one another, bear burdens with one another, share with one another, forgive one another. How can we be truly following Jesus if we're by ourselves and ignoring 59 of the things that the New Testament says? We have to do this together, that we are all the body of Christ. We see this, we, we hit on this a little bit earlier through um, one of the passages we read, but to continue the point, Romans 12, 4 through 5, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members don't all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I don't know every person's spiritual gifts in this room. I don't know all the ways that God has wired you to have abilities that are incredible. I don't know all those things. But what I do know is that if we, if all of us end up just sitting in our chairs and feeling comfortable without utilizing those gifts, that robs the church, that robs our own lives, that robs our relationships, and it robs ourselves of the opportunity to help. Have you ever had those opportunities when someone wants, needs, or someone's asking you, you're in a hard time, someone asks you for help, you say, no, no, I'm okay. And then in hindsight, we recognize that if we don't bless other people by allowing them to come into our world and know what's going on, we rob them of the opportunity to use the gifts God has given them to serve. So it's not just this, this myth of, yeah, we're good, I'm fine, everything's fine, I have a mask, everything's fine. It's we, we don't allow the body of Christ to become the body of Christ if we don't open up and share what's going on in our lives. And we rob one another because there are 59 things in which we say, love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens. And we rob the body of Christ by not connecting, not getting plugged in not using what God has created us to do for his kingdom, for his glory, not just for our employers or for our schools. So we see this idea that number two was that when we go alone, we rob ourselves and one another. Number three, when we go alone, we fall into a life of isolation. I don't want a show of hands. I just want to ask a rhetorical question. Have you ever felt alone in a crowd. 
This can happen, this can happen at a party. It can happen at a concert. It can happen at a classroom, a boardroom, a living room, or a church worship room. Where you know you're surrounded by other people, yet you feel so isolated. You think, why can't anyone around this whole crowd see what I'm really struggling with? And, and maybe it's not worth even opening up because everyone else seems to be fine. Everyone else seems to be connected. Everyone else seems to be plugged in. Yet here I am, surrounded by everybody else. And yet I'm the one that just feels all alone. You know, we have this idea we talk about in churches and at my previous church and even here, the fact that sometimes people will come to a church and a church can be known for its community. But what people on the, who come and visit, what they experience isn't community, it's cliques. That a strong community from the inside can feel so warm and, and friendly and great. A strong community, if not careful, on the outside can look like a clique. Happens in youth groups all the time where when I was serving youth group, it's like, oh, that, it's, it's that youth groups, it's just a clique. So how do you foster this idea of being communal and friendly yet not being a clique on the outside? And so much of that is inviting people in. Not just staying within our holy huddles, not just staying within our comfort zones, not just staying within the people that we feel that we know already, but inviting somebody in to have a conversation or, or going out and, and just saying, hey, you're not talking to anyone. Don't, don't say that. That would be really bad. Hey, you're not talking to anyone. Forget it. Uh, but just this idea of, of coming up and saying, hey, can, you know, what's your name? And, and let me, hey, I know someone else who likes the 49ers. I'm the only one. But come on over and let's start, let's start talking about that together. And it's just, it's so much of this mindset that when we come to church, we can have the mindset that church is only existing for us and our needs and what we want this morning right now. Or, or we can look at this idea that the church is a people in which I can come alongside. And yes, I, I need some needs filled too, but if we're all looking after one another's needs, guess what? All of our needs will be met. But we'll be able to have an outward focus, an external focus, and bringing people from the outside in so that the community doesn't become a clique, but the community just expands. And so we look at this idea that people can just feel alone, isolated, in a crowd because there's a clique and they don't feel welcomed. And so this is the myth of social media, the myth of, of um, being overly connected and the fact that we think that having 1,400 friends on Facebook means that we're no longer lonely. The fact that we think that I follow people on Instagram and so because I can see someone's pre-filtered life displayed for all to see and then I give my own pre-filtered perspective and snapshot of my life for all to see that somehow between filtered life and filtered life, between mask and mask, that somehow true connectedness is going to happen. But what we see is, is that if we're only wearing each other's masks, it doesn't mean if we're in a church room or if we're in our living room looking at our phones. It's a hollow community. And it speaks more to isolation than association with others. Not because we intended to, but because we fall for the myth that having lots of friends on Facebook means that I have true friends in real life. And so Jim Putman, who, who wrote a book about 
real life discipleship. He's a pastor in Idaho. He talks about how there's, there's this struggle that we have to get connected. If we want to be isolated and we feel like people aren't perfect or there's clicks or there's reasons for division. And just as what Jim Putman said, he said, like people today, the early Christians were busy. They had character flaws, bad attitudes, and bad breath. They came from different backgrounds and had different preferences. They had kids and work and chores, yet their hearts were for their brothers and sisters in Christ. At times, yeah, they were annoyed with each other, but they still were committed to meeting together. They felt that being together was better than being alone in the faith. That having togetherness, even with other imperfect people, is better than the facade that going alone will make it our lives healthier or that going alone is what's right. And so let's talk about going together a little bit more. And Ecclesiastes 4, uh, 11 through 12 talks about the idea that uh, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Obviously, there's an answer for that. You do what I do when you're in a blanket. You just do like the burrito where you put the blanket here. Then you roll over. You tuck a little bit on the side. It, it's fine. Solomon didn't know about the burrito. It's fine. Um, but this idea of warmth with one another. But then also we look at this idea of, in verse 12, the one may be overpowered, two could defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. This idea, it's a, it's a typical progression of one, two, three. It's a poetic progression in the, Hebrew, in the Hebrew text to build it that way. But this idea that this threefold cord strand... This idea that it's people, it's one person and another person intertwined around the relationship with Jesus Christ, intertwined around the relationship with God that binds us into a relationship that is not easily broken. And so when it comes to going together, we have these ideas that when we go together, in your notes, we don't buy into the culture of instant gratification, we buy into the need for association. That association, just quickly defined, is a group of people organized for a joint purpose, or a connection or cooperative link between people and organizations. That we have a joint purpose. That is Christ-likeness by the power of the Holy Spirit. The, the joint purpose of seeking and saving those who are lost. The joint purpose of going out and teaching people what Jesus has commanded. Baptizing them. Going into the nations. Making disciples. That we have a joint purpose that should unite us more than any other association that could ever exist. Because no association that could ever exist will have a purpose as powerful and as meaningful and as eternal as ours. And so we buy into that need. And so we look at this idea that in the Bible, we need association. We see that when they faced the, um, when they faced the fiery furnace, there were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego holding each other accountable, said, we are not going to go in together. That when Jesus sent out the disciples and the missionaries, they went two by two. That we see in the Garden of Eden, what was not good was the fact that man was alone. That we see that Paul and Barnabas and other military, or sorry, military, other missionary um, peoples went out in twos. And what they all have in common is the fact that life was lived, the Christian walk was walked, not in isolation, but in association with others. Even Jesus showed us the value of community by having his 12 disciples, and he showed us the value of having a more intimate community than that, even with his three even Jesus, in John 17, he says, Lord, God, I pray that the people will be one as you and I are one. That if the Trinity is a community, how could we who believe in the Trinity not be in community? Rick Warren talks about this. He says that church is not something you go to. 
Church is something you belong to. We are the family of God. Many people think that Christianity is a belief system, but it is a belong system. Yes, there are beliefs involved, but it's more than that. It means you're part of the body of Christ. It's not just being able to intellectually believe and know something. It's the fact that we work through our salvation with fear and trembling with brothers and sisters on the journey. That when we are struggling, we have a brother and sister who could come alongside of us. And when they're struggling, we, have, we can be able to come alongside them as well. Yet when woe be to the one or pity be to the one who has no one to help them up. Woe be to the one who's by themselves on this journey Because who can help them? Who could come alongside them? And who can encourage them when they're struggling? The next note is that when we go together, we experience true community. When we go together, we experience true community. True community happens when we do two things. True community happens when we invest time with building relationships. This isn't in your notes. This is for free extra. (laughs) True community happens when we invest time into building relationships. And true community happens when we have the courage to be transparent when we invest that time. Time, transparency. Time and transparency. Time and transparency. True community happens when we set aside the time. We don't say, God, you can have my hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning, but nothing else because my schedule is too full. Or you don't say, God, I'll show up, but I'm not going to actually care about anybody when I go to a group or a small group or listen or talk. I'm just going to be there and, and check off my list rather than actually desire to invest and get to know someone. Ver, uh, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says this, that, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some in the ha- are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Notice the emphasis on time. Let's, let's continue to meet together. Let's not give up that habit as some are in the habit of doing. If that's the temptation they felt 2,000 years ago, how much more so do we experience that now? But when they're there, when they have the time and they've set aside that time together, they spur one another on. They encourage one another. They spur each other to love and good deeds. And how is it they could spur one another on? Because... They're transparent enough to know where each other are. How do you come alongside someone, help them to the next step if you don't know the current step that they're at? And so Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. It's not something that we have to wait for Christian community to happen. Christian community, the church, the body of Christ, the brotherhood and sisterhood is something that is already there. May we walk into those doors and take that moment to set aside the time. And may we have the moments of opening up in transparency. And we have time plus transparency. And we step out in faith and take that risk. Then we receive far more than we ever could have hoped for. We receive the idea that the church is a family, the church is the body of Christ, that the church is a community in which we can take off the masks. We can share what's going on. We could spur one another on towards love and good deeds, and we can have people do the same for us. We could sharpen iron as iron sharpens one another. We can do all these things. And then the last point here is that when we go together, It's not just that we buy into the idea of 
association. It's not just that we experience true community. It's that when we go together, we help one another on the journey of transformation. We help each other on this walk that when someone else is stumbling, we can help them up. When somebody else is broken, we don't try to fix them. We rest in the brokenness with them knowing that God can heal. And we become a listening ear, not a pharmacist who prescribes what they need to do. That we can be the church to people. Not be the four walls on a building on Sunday morning, but be the people who are God sent out to change the world. See, here at, at Pomerado Christian Church, just recently, we, uh, this past Friday night, we had the P, uh, PCC Mom Life first event. And it was one of those where um, it was just an event where people were able to share, moms were able to set aside the time, and then they were able to have dialogue and conversation and be able to be transparent with one another. And so it's a way in which people can get connected to the church, whether you've had a newborn or you've had, mom, or you've had kids that are out of the house, but it's a place for moms to be able to connect but we also have the round, men's roundtable on Saturday mornings. We have Bible studies throughout the week. We have small groups throughout the week. We have Sunday ser- school services, uh, Sunday schools that happen right now. On our children's ministry, we have opportunities for them to learn and grow in the word of God together. On our youth ministry, we have small groups after the sermon on Thursday nights. I mean, this is not something that is new. It's something that is already here, but we need to step into those opportunities to connect. Step into those opportunities to not just see church as Sunday morning, but to step into those opportunities of seeing how God might want to work throughout the week in our lives. We need people, like a group of moms coming together and encouraging one another, like a group of men talking on a Saturday morning. We need people to help us in this journey, to put down the masks, and to recognize how important it is that someone can help us in this journey of transformation. Because if we don't have other people helping us, we can just conform to our own image. And we can make God in our image rather than recognizing that we are made in his. And so Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a lot of these quotations, by the way, are from Life Together, which is a great book about Christian community and what that looks like. So in Life Together, he continues and says, Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged, for by himself he cannot help himself without belying that truth that we need people. That no matter how hard we want to be the self-made man or woman, no matter how hard we want to bind to the culture that I did this on my own, that I had no help, and we elevate and we idolize people who do that in our culture, in this individualistic culture, rather than recognizing that we can't do it alone. Everybody needs people to care for them. And everybody needs to look to the needs of others and care for others as well. And that, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, that also clarifies the goal of all Christian community, that they meet one another as bringers of the message of salvation. That our community is bound again by the fact that we are the body of Christ because Christ laid down his body for us. And that we could bring, be bringers of that message and encouragers to keep going. That when someone falls down, we help them up. When someone is cold from the emptiness and the isolation, that we could provide warmth of showing them Christ's love. That when someone is struggling, that we can wrap our lives around the center relationship of God and the three of us having a quarter of three strands with two friends and God being the center 
cord, that strand that will not easily be broken. And as we close, I want to share the story that my previous church, there was a, um, a group leader named Ross, and he had a men's group. And in his men's group was a, a man named Scott that hadn't shown up for quite a while. And so he tried to find out what was going on with Scott and tried to call and nothing happened. But Ross was persistent and wanted to still find out what was going on with him. He was concerned about his friend. Well, he finally got a hold of Scott and Scott let him know that he had actually just had surgery to remove a cancer, a brain tumor that was malignant. Ross was wondering why you didn't tell us, how come you didn't let us know, and, and in the midst of it all, the, Scott's phone wasn't charged, he didn't have an opportunity to call people, reach out, and then he was recovering, and so Ross found out that Scott had to go to a facility just to kind of rehab and get, get, um, get better, so Scott, or sorry, Ross went over to uh, his, the house, and so he realized that the place where Scott was going to recover was was just broken down, that the bathroom needed work, the bedroom needed work, so Ross goes to his small group of men. And Ross says, Scott needs help. So what we're going to do, instead of meeting in our normal small group time for the next couple of weeks, we're going to start figuring out what needs to be done in order to bring this room and these places back to where it's welcoming and able for Scott to be able to get better. And so for two weeks, before work, after work, instead of meeting, they would go and they just started being able to do construction. They were able to get new tile for the bathroom. They were able to redo electrical work. I mean, they were able to do all these different things. And Scott was still continuing to recover for an extra few weeks. And it took two weeks until the day before Scott was coming home that Ross and the group ended up completing the project. But what's great is the fact that it wasn't just Ross's group at CCV, my previous church, that Ross found out that Scott was also attending a different men's Bible study at a, another church called Faith Community Church. So then Ross reached out to the men over in this group. And so it was both groups crossing church boundaries and crossing church lines in order to help a brother who was in need. They came alongside together, encouraged the mom, encouraged the extended family, made it so that Scott could come home. And Ross shares that, you know, in the end, Scott, within a year, went home to be with the Lord. But how much was changed because a member of a community was noticed that they were gone, was followed up with by a leader, that came alongside them, found out their needs, ended up doing the work and getting their hands dirty, sacrificing time and giving money in order to prepare everything. How much was changed? Well, yes, for Scott, but also for his family. And what a witness that is. But Scott, had he not been involved in any groups, had he not been connected, if he had said, I'll get connected, but not yet. No one would have known. And he would have been in that isolation. And he would have had a much more difficult journey at the end. So may we not say, oh, I'll get connected, I'll get plugged in, but, but not yet. Let me fix myself before I get into a group. That's not how it works. We need each other to help spur each other on towards love and good deeds. We need each other to sharpen us, to hold us accountable, to encourage us, and to ultimately, as Bonhoeffer said, to be bringers of the message of salvation. So for you, are you someone right now that you could say, I'm connected into a community with other brothers and sisters in the Lord? Are you someone that sees Sunday morning as the extent of your Christian walk? If that's you, I'm so glad you're part of Sunday mornings. And I hope this message doesn't stop you from coming into other Sunday mornings. 
But my true hope is that we extend beyond Sunday mornings, that we see how we can get connected, do life together, to be the church, not just to go to church. That we recognize that if you want to go fast and buy into a culture of instant gratification, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Because Christian transformation happens through association with others, not isolation from others. So what do you need to do to get into deeper association with God and with others this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. And I pray, Lord, that you would... Stir within our hearts, God, what it is that we need to do, uh, who it is that we need to reach out to, who maybe that has, there's been a broken relationship that we need to extend your mercy to, who it is that we haven't seen in a while, and maybe like Ross reaching out to Scott, may you be putting someone's name on our hearts to reach out to and follow up and say, how are you doing? We've missed you. Where have you been? Or maybe, Lord, we can't even name somebody with whom we can reach out to or call on when we're in struggling because we've had the masks on too long, we've gotten too comfortable, and we've gotten to a point where we don't even know who to turn to because we're falling into the, so the self-imposed, solitary confinement of isolation. Lord, if that's us, break us free from that, please. And I pray that everyone again who hears my voice knows how loved they are by you. And may they know that they are prayed for, cared for, and loved by this body of Christ before they've even walked into this room, or before they've pushed play while listening online. May you work, Lord. May you bind us closer to one another so we could be a community that isn't a clique, but a community that brings and invites people into so that the community expands, so that your name is glorified that more people would be made right relationship with you. We love you, Lord. In your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. I want to close our service reading out of Psalm chapter 133. It's only three verses. So uh, just listen, to, listen with me together. It says, verse 1, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Now, as we start off, yeah, it's just bless how good and pleasant it is, rather, when brothers and sisters live together in unity. That unity brings people far from God near to God far more than division. So being unified and how pleasing that is to God to see his sons and his daughters getting along, just as it's so pleasing when our daughters get along. But we look at this idea, I want to jump down to verse 3, this idea that it's as if the dew from Mount Hermon would bless Mount Zion. Now geographically, they were far apart from one another. Mount Hermon is one of the only places in Israel that consistently would get snowfall. And Zion was closer to Jerusalem, so it didn't have that same idea didn't have that same climate and so this idea here is something that for someone who knew the geography the idea that the dew of Hermon the snowfall the blessing the the be able to refreshing part of Herm, Mount Hermon would be able to bless and refresh Mount Zion miles away would remind us that the way that we could be good and pleasing to live together in unity is that we recognize that when we have been blessed, when we are experiencing a time of blessing, that we could go find those who are dry and arid places in their walk and that we could bless them, knowing that when we are the ones that are in dry and arid places, that 
someone would come and help us as well. That we would live out those one another commands because if God can bring about people from different socioeconomic classes, if he could bring about people from different families of origin, different cultures, different viewpoints, different ways of living, different football team fans, if he can do those things because the body of Christ comes because Christ laid down his body, then we can find those things that unify us and be a light to those who are far from God. We too can, like Mount Hermon, be a blessing to those and give life forevermore. Yes, to people in the body of Christ, but even to those who are far from God, who need the hope of God in the midst of deep trial and tribulation. Hope that you are encouraged. Hope that you want to Feel, if you feel like you need to get connected, we have welcome cards. We have the welcome dessert coming up, and we would love to find ways to see how your story can match our church's story, and they can become one story to God's glory. So we are so excited that you're with us this morning. Thank you for spending this time, and I pray that you'll have a great week. We'll see you next week as we continue our series. God bless you all. Know that you are prayed for, cared for, and loved before you even walk into this room. Have a great week, and see you next Sunday.